Woo! Okay, so welcome back to part three, there we go, of Ghosts of the Shadow Market. Now, I am going to be trying to read slow again. However, my last video, also 10% speed reduction. So, wow, I'm just so dang fast at reading at, that I can't even understand myself half the damn time. Okay, so let's go on ahead and uh, go off. Let's start off with uh, what so far we read about. Right now, I have this little uh, notepad where I'm writing down notes and stuff after I read it so I can tell you, hey, what's going on? Okay, so pretty much, uh, so far the book has a so far, it's pretty much where this guy named Zachariah will meet this kid named Matthew at, beside the Shadow Market. He's playing with his friends. Uh, we go back in time to see what why Matthew is here. Apparently him and his friend was expelled due to a fatal prank by Alistair. Uh, because one of the kids died in it. Uh, James, he got expelled. So, Matthew went with him, just because he can. Uh, like I said, Zach meets uh, Matthew in the alleyway. Uh, they're at the shot market now. Uh, Zach meets a warlock. When I say Zach, I meant Zachariah. He meets a warlock who was also Matthew's professor who did not like Matthew because apparently Matthew blew up part of the Institute. Uh, they meet a fairy. They do a... Uh, Talking back and forth, so Zachariah learns how Matthew is really, really polite against underworlders and stuff. Uh, Matthew excites everybody by jumping over green flames, and that is it. I pretty much just put 24 pages worth in uh, one paragraph so far. Awesome. Alright. This book is amazing, by the way. I love it so far. I may, I may actually get the other ones, but like I said, it's going to take me a while to read this whole damn book. Alright, so let's go on ahead and continue where I left off. Okay, so like last time, I am just going to uh, read the last paragraph that I read, and then I am going to continue on. Uh, okay. His hair was gold, even by strange flames. His face bright, even in shadow. Brother Zechariah watched him laugh, and for a boding crept into his heart. He experienced sudden fear for Matthew, for all the shining, beloved children belonging to his dear friends. By the time he was Matthew's age, he and Will had been through fire and burning silver. His generation had suffered so they could bring the next one forth into a better world. But now it occurred to Jim that those children taught to expect love and walk fearless through shadows would be shocked and betrayed by disaster. Some of them might be broken. Pray disaster never came. So now we're at the Fairchild Residence, London, 1901. Alright, hopefully I don't sneeze like the last one because that was kind of... Yeah, okay. Matthew was still thinking about his visit to the Shadow Market. The next day, in some ways, it had been rotten luck, coming upon Uncle Jim like that, though he had been glad for the chance to become better acquainted. Perhaps Uncle Jim would think Jamie had not made a bad choice in his parabati. He rose clearly to help Cook with all the baking. Cook had arthritis and Matthew's mama 
had asked if she was not getting along in years and wishing to retire. But Cook did not wish to retire, and nobody had to know if Matthew lent a hand in early morning. Besides, Matthew liked to see his papa and mama and even Charles eating breakfast he had prepared. His mother always worked too hard, lines of worry etched between her brows and around her mouth but never disappeared even if Matthew managed to make her laugh. She liked scones with cranberries baked in it, she, so, she, so he tried to make them for her whenever he might. Matthew could not do anything else for her. He was not a strong support for her like Charles was. Charles Buford is so serious-minded and reliable, one of his mother's friends had said when they were taking tea together in Idris. She had a bit onto the mother's special codes. And Matthew, where is he? Uh Oh, wait. And Matthew, well, he is charming. That morning at breakfast, Charles Buford reached for the plate of Mama's cones. Matthew gave him a smile and a very decided shake off his head, moving the plate to his mother's elbow. Charles Buford grimaced in Matthew's direction. Charlotte gave him a distracted smile, then returning to contemplating the tablecloth. She was in a brown study. Matthew wished he could say that it was an unusual occurrence these days, but it was not. For months, there had been something wrong in the atmosphere of home. With not only his mother, but his father and even Charles Buford looking abstracted and occasionally snapping at Matthew for some reason. Sometimes Matthew dreaded the thought of what he might be told, and that it was time he knew the truth that his mother was going away forever. Sometimes Matthew thought it was only new. He could bear it. My dear, said Papa, are you feeling well? Perfectly, Henry, said Mama. Matthew loved his father beyond reason, but he knew him. He was well aware that there were times when the entire family could have their heads replaced with parakeet heads and Papa would simply tell the parakeet heads all about his latest experiment. Now, his father was watching his mother with worried eyes. Matthew could picture him saying, Please, Charlotte, don't leave me! His heart lurched into his chest. Matthew folded his napkin three times over his hands and said, Can... Could somebody tell me? Then the door opened. Gideon Lightwood came in. Mr. Lightwood. Father refused to think of speaking of him as Uncle Gideon any longer. What are you doing here? said Matthew. Sir! Mama said sharply. Really, Matthew? Call him Sir! Uh, What are you doing here? said Matthew. Sir! Mr. Gideon Lightwood had the cheek to give to Matthew a brief smile before he walked over and put his hands on Mama's shoulder in front of Matthew's papa. Always a pleasure to see you, sir, said Charles Buford. That wretch. May I serve you some kippers? No, 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 not at all. I already ate breakfast, said Matthew Lightwood. I merely thought to accompany Charlotte through the... The portals to Idris. 
Mama smiled properly with Mr. Lightwood as she had not for Matthew. That's very kind, Gideon, though not necessary. It is most necessary, said Mr. Lightwood. A lady should always have the escort of a gentleman. His voice was teasing. Matthew usually waited until after breakfast to take his father down in his chair to his laboratory. But he could not bear this. I must see James at once upon urgent business, he declared, bolting upright. He slammed the door off the breakfast parlor, shut behind him, and not be- but not before he heard Mama apologize for him and Mr. Lightwood say, Oh, that is all right. The age, he is at a full difficult one. Believe me, I remember it well. Before Matthew left, he ran out to his bedroom mirror to adjust his hair and cuffs and smooth his new green waistcoat, stared at his face in the glass, framed in gold, a pretty face, but not a clever one like everyone else's and his family. He remembered the fairy woman saying, Some would say, only a swallow, wait, some would say only a shallow river could flash so bright. I don't remember her saying that, but alright. He tilted his head as he looked into the glass. Many people thought his eyes were dark like his mama's, but they were not. They were such a dark green that they could fool people, except when light struck the dark at a certain way and the depths flashed emerald like the rest of him, his eyes were a trick. He drew the vial of truth potion from his sleeve. Uncle Jim had not seen him buy it. Even he was expected Matthew had it. Uncle Jim would not peach on him. When Uncle Jim said something, you believed it. He was that kind of person. Matthew had refrained from ever mentioning his thoughts about Gideon to James, because Matthew was the sole discretion and Jamie had an awful temper on him sometimes. Last summer, a perfectly amiable shadow hunter named Augustus Pounceby had come by London Institute on his tour board, and Matthew had left Pounceby in James's sole company for less than half an hour. When Matthew returned, he found Jamie had thrown Pounceboy into the Thames. All James would say that the Pounceby had insulted him. I really meant say, to say Thames is T-H-A-M-E-S, not Flames, it's literally Thames. I don't know what that means. It was quite a feat, since Pounceboy was a shadow hunter fully grown and Jamie was 14 at the time. Still, however, impressive, it could not be considered good manners. That is not good manners at all. Neither James nor Uncle Jim would buy potions like a sneak or consider administering them. Only what harm would it do to finally learn the truth? Matthew had considered adding a drop from the vial to the breakfast this morning. Then father and mother would have told him all that was happening. Now that Mr. Gideon Lightwood had started popping in off of a morning, he wished he had. Matthew shook his head at his reflection and determined to banish melancholy and dull care. Do I look daper? He asked Mr. Oscar Wilde. Do I look dashing and debonair? Mr. Oscar Wilde gave him a lick on the nose because Mr. Oscar Wilde was a puppy Jamie had given Matthew on his birthday. Matthew took this as approval. He pointed to his reflection. You may be a waste of space in this waistcoat, he told Matthew Fairchild, but at least your waistcoat is fantastic. 
He checked his pocket watch, then tucked the pocket watch into a vial into his waistcoat. Matthew could not linger. He had an important appointment. Important appointment. There we go. Important appointment at a most exclusive club. First, Matthew had to breeze into London Institute to collect a parcel known as Jamie's Herndale. He had a shrewd idea of where James was likely to be, so he told Oscar to stay and guard a lamppost. Oscar obeyed. He was very well behaved for a puppy, and people said Matthew must have trained him well. But Matthew only loved him, not trained him. Matthew threw a grappling hook up into the library window, climbed up while being careful of his trousers, and trapped on the glass. And tapped on the glass, my bad. James was in the window seat. His black head had bent over. What a surprise! A book! He looked up at the tap and smiled. James had never really needed Matthew. James has, had been so shy, and Matthew had wanted to take care of him. But now that James was growing into this, his angular figure, angular features, and accustomed to having a certain company of three good friends, he was far more collected during social gatherings. Even when Jamie was shy, he never seemed to doubt or wish to alter himself. He never looked. He never looked to Matthew for rescue. There was a quiet, deep, certainly to James, but Matthew wished he had himself. From the start, there was something between them that was more equal than between them, and Thomas, or him, and Christopher, something that made Matthew want to prove himself to James. He was not sure he truly had. James never looked relieved to see Matthew or expectant. He only looked pleased. He opened the window and Matthew crawled in, upsetting both James and the book from the window seat. Hello, Matthew, said James from the floor in slightly sardonic tones. Hello, Matthew, chimed Lucy from her writing desk. I can't believe I gave him the same voice. Okay. She was a picture of dainty disarray, clearly in the throes of composition. Her light brown curls were half pulled out of the blue ribbon one... Wait. Well, half pulled out of a blue ribbon, one shoe dangling piercingly from her stocked toes, Uncle Will frequently gave dramatic readings from the book. He was writing on the demon pox, which were very droll. Lucy did not show her writing around. Matthew had often considered asking her if she might read him a page, but he could think of no reason why Lucy would make a special exception for him. Bless you, my herndells, said Matthew grandly, scrambling up from the floor and making Lucy his bow. I come upon an urgent errand. Tell me, be honest, what do you think of my waistcoat? Lucy dimpled. Devastating. What Lucy said. James agreed peacefully. Not fantastic? Matthew asked. Not positively stunning? Well, I I suppose I am stunned, said James. But I am but am I positively stunned?
Refrain from playing Crew World Crayons with your one and only parabati, Matthew requested. Attend to your own attire, if you please. Heave that beastly book away. The Mistress Lightwood await us. We must hook it. Hmm, can't I go as I am? Asked James. He looked up at Matthew with a wide gold eyes who was positioned on the floor. His pitch black hair was askew, his linen shirt rumpled, and he was not even wearing a, race, a waistcoat. Matthew nobly represented a convulsive shudder. Surely you just, said Matthew. I know you only these things to hurt me. Off with you. Brush your hair. The hairbrush mutinly is coming, warned James, making for the door. Come back, victorious, or the hairbrushes of your soldiers, Matthew called after him. When Jamie had flown, Matthew turned to Lucy, who was scribbling intentionally, but who looked up as if sensing his glance and smiled. Matthew wondered how it would be to be so sufficient and welcoming with it, like a house with sturdy walls and a beacon of light always burning from within. Should I brush my hair? Lucy teased. You are, as always, perfect, said Matthew. He wished he could fix the ribbon in her hair, but that would be taking liberty. Do you wish to attend our secret club meeting? Asked Matthew. I cannot. I am doing lessons with my mother. Ma'am and I are teaching ourselves Persian, said Lucy. I should be able to speak the languages of my parabody speaks, shouldn't I? James had recently started calling his mother and father Ma'am and Da rather than Mama and Papa. Since it sounded more grown up, Lucy had instantly copied him in his matter. Matthew rather liked hearing the Welsh lilt in her voice when they called their parents, their voices soft as songs and always loving. Of a certainty, said Matthew, coughing and making a private resolution to return to his Welsh lessons. There had been no question of Lucy attending Shadowhunter Academy. She had never demonstrated any abilities like James, but the world was cruel enough to women were even expected of being the least bit different. Lucy Hannandale is a sweet child, but with her disadvantages, he wouldn't marry her. Lavinia Whitlaw had asked Matthew's mama once over tea. I would be happy if either of my sons wished to, said Charlotte in her most council-like manner. Matthew thought James was very lucky to have Lucy. He had always wanted a little sister. Not that he wanted Lucy to be his sister. Are you writing a book, Lucy? Matthew asked tentatively. No, it's a letter to Cordilla. Lucy answered, shattering Matthew's fragile plot. I hope Cordilla would come to visit very soon, she added with earnest eagerness. You will like her so much, Matthew. I know you will. Hmm, said Matthew. Matthew and his doubts about Calera Carstairs. Lucy was going to be a parabody with Cordelia one day. When the Clave decided they were grown-up ladies who knew their own minds, Lucy and James were acquainted with Cordelia from childhood adventures that Matthew had not been part of, and which Matthew felt a bit jealous about. Cordelia must have some redeeming qualities, or Lucy would not want her for a parabody. 
but she was Alice's loathly worm character's sister. So it would be strange if she was entirely aimable. She sent me a picture of herself in her latest. This is Cordelia. Lucy continued in tones of pride. Is she not the prettiest girl you ever saw? Oh, well, said Matthew, perhaps. He was primarily surprised about the picture. He would have thought Alistair's sister might share Alistair's unpleasant look. As if he were eating lemons he looked down on. She did not. Instead, Matthew was redeemed of a line in a poem James had read to him once about an unrequented love. That child of shower and gleam described a vivid face laughing up at him from the frame exactly. All I know is, said Matthew continued, you have every other girl in London beat two flinders. Lucy colored faint pink. Yeah, you always teasing me, Matthew. Uh, uh, did Cordelia ask you to become a parabati? Matthew said cautiously. Or did you ask her? Lucy and Cordelia had wanted to make parabati before. They were parted. But they were warned that sometimes you regret a bond made young. And sometimes one partner or another would change their mind. Particularly Lawrence Ash Dawn had remarked since ladies could be so flightly. Lucy was not flightly. She and Cordelia wrote to each other faithfully every day. Lucy had even once told Matthew she was writing a long story to keep Cordelia amused since Cordelia was always so far away. Matthew did not really wonder why someone like Lucy found it difficult to take someone like him seriously. I asked her, of course, Lucy said promptly. I did not wish to miss my chance. Matthew nodded, confirmed in his new belief at Cordelia. Matthew nodded, confirmed in his new belief at Cordelia Carstairs must be something special. He was sure that if he had held not asked James to be a parabati, James would never have thought of asking him. James returned to the room. Satisfied? He asked. Hmm, oh, I should do this like in a more uppity voice. Satisfied? He asked. That is a strong word, Jamie, Matthew said. Consider my waistcoat wrath somewhat appeased. James still had still bleh, bleh. James still had his book tucked under his arm, but Matthew knew better than to fight doomed battles. James told him about the book as they walked the London streets. Matthew enjoyed the modern and humorous, such as the works of Oscar Wilde or the music of Gilbert and Sullivan. But Greek history was not so bad when it was Jamie telling him. Matthew had taken to reading more and more literature of old stories of doomed love and noble battles. He could not find himself in them, but he saw James in them, and that was enough. They walked unglamoured, as Matthew always insisted they do, in his quest to make Jamie feel less self-conscious about the disasters of the Academy. Like it blowing up or the demons attacked. You know, those sort of stuff. A young lady, arrested by Jamie's bone structure, stopped in the path of the omnibus. Matthew seized her waist and whirled her to safety, grabbing her a tip of his bat of his hat and smiled. Jamie seemed to miss the whole incident entirely, fiddling with something beneath his shirt cuff.
There were crowds protesting the mundane war outside the house of the pyramid. The... Wait, what? Okay, okay, for some reason, I thought I... The Boer War? Asked Matthew. That cannot be right. The Boer War, said James. B-O-E-R. Honestly, Matthew. Ah, that makes more sense, said Matthew. A lady in a shapeless hat caught hold of Matthew's sleeve. May I be any assistance, madam? Asked Matthew. They are committing unspeakable atrocities, said the lady. They have children penned up in camps. Think of their children. Uh, James fastened his hand on Matthew's sleeve and towed him away with an apologetic hat tip to the lady. Matthew looked over his shoulder. I do hope those affairs go right for the children, he called. James appeared pensive as they went. Matthew knew James wished shadow hunters could solve problems like the mundane war, though Matthew felt like they're rather overstretched as it was with all the demons. In order to cheer Jamie up, he stole his hat. Jamie burst into startled laughter and pursued Matthew, both of them racing and jumping high enough to amaze the mundanes. Under the shadow of St. Stephen's Tower, Matthew's puppy lost his head, forget his training, and dashed under their feet, yapping with sheer joy of being alive. Their rushing footsteps outpaced the steady tick of the great clock, under which has written in James' beloved Latin, O word, keep safe, our Queen Victoria I. And the laughter mingled in the gleeful chime and war of the bells. Later, Matthew would not look back and remember, remember it as his last happy day. Do I sleep? Do I dream? Or all these visions do I see? Demanded Matthew. Why are Aunt Sophie and both of the Thompson sisters taking the tea in the same establishment as our private exclusive club room? They followed me, said Thomas, delayed tones. Mama was understanding, or they would have followed us directly into the club room. Aunt Sophie was a good sport, but that did not make Matthew feel any less uneasy about the advent of Thomas's sisters. They were not kindred spirits, and they were liable to consider all the doings of the little brother, both their businesses, and very silly. Matthew loved their club room in Woodbrook. No interference. He had chosen the materials for the curtains himself, made certain that James put the works of Oscar Wilde in their extensive book collection, and reinforced the corner that was Christopher's laboratory with steel sheets on the walls. Which led Matthew to another grievance. He regarded Christopher with a steely glaze. Did you sleep in those clothes, Christopher? I know Aunt Cicely, Uncle Gable, and Cousin Anna would never let you inflict these horrors on the populace. What are those particular lavender stains upon your shirt front? Did you just set your sleeves on fire? Christopher regarded his sleeves as if he had never been held them before. A bit, he said guiltily. Ah, 
Well, said Matthew, at least the purple stains match your eyes. Christopher blinked and said yes. Wait, no. Christopher blinked and said eyes? The improbable shade of violets in the summer and smiled his slow, blossoming smile. He clearly did not understand Matthew's objections, but was vaguely pleased they had been overcome. It was not like with James, who actually presented a very fine appearance to the world. Christopher was encourageable. He could rumple leather boots. He could certainly set fire to anything. Matthew had not meant for Christopher to be asked to leave the Shadowhunter Academy. But, as it emerged, they did not let you remain in school if you blew up any portion of it. Yeah! If I blew up the school, I'm pretty sure I'd be expelled. Yeah. Besides which, Professor Fell had threatened to leave the academy forever if Christopher remained there. Thomas had stayed out the full year, but found no reason to return with his friends gone and Alistair. God help us, Carstairs graduated. So, by luck, the closeness between their families and an irresponsible attitude to flammable materials, more often than not all, Matthew's blossom... Bossom? What the hell's a bossom? More often than not all, Matthew's bossom friends... What is bossom? I don't know what bossom is. ...could live near each other other than London. They trained together at the London Institute and took lessons together in various school rooms. And Lavinia Whitlaw had referred to them as that notorious bunch of hooligan boys. Matthew and James had called themselves Shadow Hooligans for some time after that remark. They had decided it was long past time to have a room full of their own inviolate from parents. However, well-meaning and preserved from siblings, though Cousin Anna and Lucy were always welcome due to being kindred spirits. So they had rented a room for the proprietor of the Double Tavern, who owned the Hernandales some sort of favor. They paid a monthly fee and had it all to themselves. Matthew regarded their room with a deep satisfaction. It looked very well, he thought, and best with all four of them sitting in it, in honor of Ben Johnson's Apollo Club, which had once held its meetings in its very tavern. A bust of the gold hung over the fireplace with words cut into the marble beneath the head and shoulders. Welcome all who lead or follow to the Oracle of Apollo. All his answers are divine. Truth itself doth flow in wine. There was, of course, a window seat for Janie. And Janie was already installed with his book upon his lap. Christopher sat in his laboratory, adding an alarming orange liquid to a bubbling purple liquid, his face a picture of contentment. Thomas was seated cross-legged upon the sofa and earnestly practicing his blade work. Thomas was very... conscientious. Con... Okay... Scientitious, then it's conscientious. I don't know what that means. Conscientious. And worried about not being good enough Shadow Hunter due to being undersized. Thomas's sisters were a good deal taller than he was. So was everybody else. Aunt Sophie, 
Tom's mama said that Thomas would shoot up someday. She said she believed one of her grandpapas had been a blacksmith and a giant of a man, small as a pea, until he was 17. Aunt Sophie was a kind lady, very beautiful, and most interesting in her tales of mundanes. Matthew did not know Mr. Gideon Lightwood could live with himself. He turned over the vial of truth potion in his waistcoat. Friends, now we are all gathered together. Shall we share secrets? Jamie fiddled with his shirt cuff again, which he always did upon certain occasions and pretended not to hear. Okay, so this is... Okay, I'm gonna have to stop here. Okay. Alright, so... Alright, like, I went up, uh, 13 pages. Like, I was at 24. Now I'm on page 38. Alright, so that was a pretty good bit. I I went up a pretty good bit of pages. I'm at 38 out of 600. I mean, like, we're getting there. I mean, like, I'm trying to do, like, each video 30 minutes. Since I wasn't distracted, I actually got, you know, a couple more pages in. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I tried to slow down a little bit. But I guess it didn't actually work out as planned. Alright. So, pretty much what happened overall is that, uh... No, actually, it didn't happen. If I actually put it into simplified words, uh, pretty much all that happened is is uh, Matthew, James, and Lucy. Well, Matthew met up with James and them. He was trying to start a meeting with them. And then now they're back at their clubhouse. Like, literally, that is all that's happened. Like, literally, all, all of that stuff I just read in 30 minutes is now in one sentence. Matthew took James and Lucy to their secret base for a meeting. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> See, that's why I don't like reading, because I just read all of that, and I can just sum it up in one sentence. I mean, like, I miss a lot of stuff talking about how uh, they, like, they don't want their uncles and aunts in there, talking about how great their aunt is, and stuff like that, but, like, for real, I just put all of that into one sentence of what they actually did. So, like, they can make a movie out of this, but the movie won't be that long. Because this book has none but details and details and details. But I started, so I'm going to finish it. Alright, alright, alright. So, thank you all for listening. I'm Zombie Killer for you. And this should be on YouTube, like, the next day I upload this. Uh, right now, it's on Anchor. Like, that is what I'm putting it on. But this is also on Spotify, Apple Tunes, and other stuff like that. So, if you want to listen there, well... You can. You can listen on there. Like I said, uh, this is on Anchor and Spotify, but I know of. Apple Tunes, I believe. Or iTunes. Yeah, iTunes. There we go. And then I will upload this on YouTube. I'm uploading it on YouTube just so I can, you know, put my name out more. Hey, here's an audiobook. Let's go check out his podcast. Alright, alright, alright. Thank you all for listening. I'm Zombie Killer for you.